Up From Work podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 144 of the show today. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living life full-time. So if you're new to listening to this show, we interview entrepreneurs, creatives, musicians, and artists going after their passions or just people going after alternative lives to do the things that they want to do instead of the things like sometimes we feel like we have to do. So Thank you for people who are joining live. And I want to uh, introduce today my guest, Andrew Giano, who is a Boston-based acoustic pop singer and recording artist. And I met through uh, my contact, who's also been on the show, and an awesome person, John from Greenhouse Studios. So welcome to the show, Andrew, and, and glad to have you tonight to be on. We had a lot of uh, trying to like connecting back and forth to get you to get on, you know, it's always a production to get through here. So thank you for Very taking true. the time to, to be on tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited. For people that don't know some of your music, like I, I listened to not as much as I wanted to today, but it was cool to listen through the record in the single with what you just told me. Cause I didn't know that, but I, I didn't recognize it wasn't so much like the production that you're talking about. It was really like, I felt a big shift in style from your album to the single. And it makes me very curious now with the release that we're going to talk about later on to hear that now to hear, because it's, it was like one year difference between those coming out. I don't know how different in writing, but before we get into that, we'll, we'll talk about that. Do you mm-hmm. want to just tell people like, you know, where, where are you coming from and what's gone into your career and music and everything like that, just for people to know who, who's Andrew Giano. So yeah, no, it was a bit of a different style. I think a lot of it had to do with the recording process for that particular song. So for the 2019 uh, release of my first album, which is called Something I Invent, uh, we did uh, all the bells and whistles. Went to a full studio, played together, had you know session people come in, do all their fun stuff. And I, uh, and I released it, uh, had it professionally mixed, engineered, and mastered, and then distributed it. The single that you saw on my website, which was released in 2020 called Wanna Be Right, this was a, a kind of, I would call it a glorified demo. What happened was, you know, a pandemic happened, if you haven't heard, in 2020. And yep. this sort of left us, me and my band, uh, without a lot of ways to scratch the mu- musical itch. And uh, I had written a lot of songs up until that point, and there is no way to bring them to the band to show them. You were doing what all good musicians in a pandemic would do and still kept mm-hmm. creating music to make the single. Yes. And it was a really interesting process. And what happened was I'm like, hey, guys, I wrote this new song. And I just, it's something I literally just recorded on my iPhone called Wanna Be Right. It was just me singing the lyrics of my acoustic guitar. And they're like, oh, that sounds really cool. Um, and my guitar player, Nate, said, if you want, I can like, you know, send me some stems and like a logic and like a logic session. And uh, me and me and Jamie, Jamie is his wife and she's the bass player. We can do something with it. 
And then Rich, our drummer, said, yeah, no, I'll, I'll try something too. So I just went into Logic. I recorded a uh, guitar track to a click and then the vocal track on top of all that. I added a little leads here and there, but it was very, very bare bones. And I don't really know a lot about mixing. So it was just it's as basic as it can get. Sent it over to them and they're like, hey, cool. And then my drum, my drummer in two days sent a drum track back. And it sounded amazing, like absolutely amazing. He just nailed exactly what I wanted to get. I'm like, I have zero notes for this. This is awesome. Sick. And that That's is the best when the, that happens. That's the I, best I love it. He's, he's <laughs> just so talented. Rich uh, Della Rocca, he's a drummer who's playing a lot of punk rock bands. I'd love to give him a shout out. He played sure. in Opposition Rising, which is a big punk band in the New England area. And he just nailed it. And then once we had the rhythm section, we added bass, we added guitar. And the same thing with that. Uh, just everything sounded perfect. And I'm like, I, I think we got something here. So I went in, I retracted some of my stuff. And then, including the vocals and some of the guitar, added a little extra things. Then I brought it to my friend, Terrence Reeves, who's a producer and engineer in Boston and a very good friend of mine. Sure. I'm like, hey, I got all these stems. Uh, do you think you can like glossen it up a bit and make it sound a little more professional? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And we went back and forth for, I think, just a week. And then he brought it back to me. And I'm like, this sounds really good. Like, we should do something with it. So we did something with it. We put it on. I distributed it on Spotify, iTunes, all the digital platforms. And then I'm um, like, I should do a music video for that, too. And I didn't know what to do because, again, this was like the height of social distancing. No one was seeing anybody. Right. So I thought... So what I did was uh, I just took a uh, iPhone video of me lip syncing the song and I superimposed that over various clips of me and the band playing together, like other videos of us playing live or just jamming and practicing just to give it some sort of feel. And then I had uh, someone on Fiverr make a lyric video. I superimposed it over that. And uh, I mean, it looks like, I mean, obviously it looks like, you know, a first year college student in media arts <laughs> made it, but uh, you know what it was, it, I think it def- definitely comes up as a late. Hey, late some of those college. students kick ass. So then maybe that's, that's maybe true. That's yeah. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no disrespect to all my freshmen out there. Represent, yeah. Word. No, but I, but I know what you mean. Freshman Dave was definitely a different audio engineer than old <laughs> guy Dave, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's cool. So what, like, I guess like, before I ask my next question, cause I know that we're going to like dive in with that, but like, I guess really quick, what was your take between those two different processes in the studio? Because I don't think that I've broken that down with some of the musicians through pandemic times of like your first album, you did extremely legit. Like I, I took a look at, I know the studio that you went to They're a great studio, awesome studio hiring session musicians and and doing this record, like really the way, you know, and then going from that to this time. And it sounds like you were able to keep yourself like very lax of like, yeah, I need to create and I want to make something that's really like a good song. I'm not going to waste my time, but like, how are you able to go between those experiences and then still move forward through those times? And, and what were the differences, positive and negative that you saw through the process? Cause we have so many, you can see a bedroom uh, producer on TikTok that's doing just as good as someone who's hit one of those studios and vice versa, but they have very different things that they accomplish. I feel like and very different music that matters in those spaces differently. So I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, that's a very good question. It seems like it should have an obvious answer, but it's something I may have to think about a little bit. Sure. Um, 
It was, uh, I mean, the studio was great, but it was also a lot of pressure. I mean, you know, you're in good hands, you know, you're being taken care of, you know, it's going to sound great at the end, but it's a lot of pressure to just do things right and do things right quick. You know, right? you can do a couple of takes, but like, if you're, if you're not nailing something in like five or six takes, then, uh, you know, that's a, that's, you know, a wasted day. And that's, you know, could be upwards to a couple hundred dollars that you didn't have to spend if you had been better prepared. Yeah. When you're doing this in your in your bedrooms alone, you can do as many takes as you want. And the only thing you're spending is the electricity bill and the Wi-Fi bill at that point. Right, right. So so that was so that gave us some more freedom. Um I, at the same time though, as someone who um while I think I would call myself somewhat proficient in logic and various DAWs, I'm also still very much a novice. So I had very basic equipment. I mean, I had amps, I have DIs and I have interfaces, but like, I don't know too much about EQ. I don't know the best way to mic an amp. I don't know the best way to mic myself. Sure. And that was pretty scary. So it's kind of like, on one hand, I felt better taken care of, but also on a more stringent schedule. Sure. Um, So in a way that, you know, there's two different types of freedoms. There's a freedoms of like knowing you're in good hands and then there's the freedom of being on your on on your own. Right. Uh, both have those those are the pros, but they both have cons. The cons for the former is uh, you got to get it right and you got to get it right fast. Uh, the cons for just doing it on your own is that you're doing it on your own and it might you might completely fall on your face. I don't know. Totally. But at the same time, like there was no pressure for us to do that. No one was expecting us to do a single, and I felt like, well, what do we have to lose? What else are we going to do? Let's try our best to make something out of this. And if it doesn't work, I mean, okay, then we'll try something new. Right. Right. No, that was a great, I don't, I don't think that there is one answer to that. I think that uh, Mm -hmm. you did a great job explaining through those things and that maybe that is the one answer that like makes total sense to me of like, there is a certain pressure to perform when you're in the studio where like it's straight up time is money at that point. Like it it costs a certain amount to be there for a certain amount of time. And like, if you don't get the results in the time, that's super stressful to be like, yeah. I need to like, like, you know, like we all have bad days at whatever instrument we're on. There's just days where you're like, my yeah. vocals just sound like shit right now. Like they just don't sound good. Cause it's my, is my body, you know? And so it's, it's, it can be really stressful to be like, I have to do the thing. Just like when you have a show, have to do the thing really well in this time period. Well, sometimes when you have a show, you have a cold. Or sometimes when you have the studio session, you know, the night before you just hurt your hand as a guitarist by cutting some apples or something. It's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's stressful to like get that thing, the result done in that amount of time. But also there are so many people that are there to help you do that, that it's nice to have. But I I also get what you're saying of like, sometimes my demos are amazing when I'm producing for my house because like, I'm hanging out with friends and I'm super relaxed and I'm not fighting my instinct. I'm just doing the take that feels right. And I just, I'm like, I'm like, I'm done right now. But, but that allows me to get the best take sometimes because I'm not under pressure and I didn't, wasn't like laser focused on what is the best take. I just like, let it happen. And that organicness at home is really nice. So it's cool to have both options at this point where like the tech is so affordable and learnable at this point that people can do things from home and then do things in a pro setting and like pick and choose, like, where's my battle going to be? Like what, what pieces of this process need to be where and, and seeing that develop right now is awesome for people to have. 
I couldn't agree more. The best part about the proliferation of affordable DAWs and creative suites for a musician is the, it's actually the democratization of at yes. the very least making demos. Cause back in the day, even just getting a demo recorded cost quite a bit of money. When it comes to demos, even if they don't have the studio polish to it, there's a certain charm about the low fidelity that comes with demos. Like yeah. uh, the songs that you can hear sound like they were like, I think when you listen to Wanna Be Right, which is the demo we're talking about, you yeah. can tell that it was very much recorded in somebody's home. But there's something cool about that, too. Because, like, it's, it's hard to get, like, the that really individual labor of love feeling from a big studio production. Because in, in so many ways, there's a lot of hands that have been, you know, in the pot. And as great as it is, and like that's that's how I want to record music going forward. Totally. It also, you know, at the same time, there may be that certain individual characteristic that isn't there because when it's the demo, it's just you and it's just you and the band. And I mean, it's literally just you guys. For right. better or for worse, but I think in this case, it was certainly for the better. No, it sounds cool. I mean, when you listen between the two of them, I see that depending on my mood or whatever I'm trying to do, I would want to listen to those two different, like I like listening to both demos from bands yeah. and polished records for different reasons. Like I can't listen to demos all day because there's just like a part of you when you're listening throughout the day and you're like, I, I don't know, like you don't want to just hear those imperfections all day, but you also don't want to just hear the studio versions and not ever hear that human element. That's just different from like a studio production that, makes that artist that you're following or attached to you're hearing and feeling like who that person is that you can't get from some of those other things. You know, I, I, at least my mm -hmm. favorite producers, it's like, I always love them because they purposely implement pieces from the demos or pieces that are mistakes into the studio record. And that's where I like to live at. I love the fusion of like, let's create a great production, but like, let's also like, if they recorded that acoustic at home, and it just felt like they were pouring their heart into it. Let's keep that acoustic track. Like we don't need to record that again. You know, if it has that vibe, I love both of those for different reasons. So it's cool to hear you talk through it. Absolutely. Uh, going back on that, uh, two of my favorite artists are Radiohead and REM. And for uh, both of them, for two, for one of, both of them did albums in which they actually recorded most of the, you know, rhythm and guitar tracks they recorded them at sound checks during live shows or actually wow. themselves. That's they so would cool. The vocals later, but you can, when you, when you listen to the bands on Radiohead or new adventures in high five by REM, you can totally hear that live, you know, energetic sound that they knew that they couldn't get in a studio. So that is um, so cool. It, it's it's very, that. very cool. Yeah. Um, if you ever listen to the bands by Radiohead or new adventures in high five, if you can listen to that, knowing what I just told you and have that in your mind, you might hear them a little bit differently. But I think it's it's, it's just it's it's also it's a recording technique to just get you to perform better sometimes, too. So, yeah, um, you're right. The, so when you go going to your point about producers who fuse those two things. Uh, yes, that is the sauce. If there's any way to get both of those, then awesome. It's hard, it's hard to do because it's so like dependent on like the way that the room is happening. Like everyone has to like feel comfortable together between production and musician and like mm -hmm. personalities to get that middle ground. It's like very hard to do because people have to be feel, 
feel vulnerable, but also like buttoned up at the same time. And it's like not easy. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, the intellectual and the visceral meeting and harmonizing. And yeah, that's a, uh, that is a, uh, that rare space where the best stuff happens. Yeah. So I guess like, cause like looking through your, your history, like the full album in 2019, the single in 2020, and then we have a single coming out, like literally like this podcast will actually be out right after it, it, it launches as a podcast, but this, this next single that you have coming out that we'll talk about in a little bit coming out like very shortly here. Did you release other things up until this point or like, like how, cause I know that you're going under your, your own name and things like that. Like what, what led to like 2019 where like this album and it, it almost from not knowing you, it just looks like you went like all in out of nowhere, which I'm sure it's not out of nowhere. Cause I always say on the show, overnight success is a 10 year thing where just people are chipping away and like working towards a dream yeah. or parts of them are, are, are assimilating into like what needs to be there. But like out of nowhere, all of a sudden you go to this huge studio down uh, South shore of Boston to do this, like all in. And now you're on after this, like this, like what, what led up to this point to be like, Hey, I'm like, I'm not fucking around. Like, and, <laughs> and here's these things and here's me and, and this project that I've got, like what went into that? Uh, yeah, no, it, it kind of seemed like, uh, it just came together very quickly. I had been thinking about it for a while. Um, and me and my band had been playing mostly cover band gigs, but also throwing in our own originals now and then. And, um, it just got to the point where I had gone through some pretty significant changes in that, uh, in that time. And I just felt, okay, I got to do it now. Like I have to do it now. I haven't even, I hadn't even written all of the songs that appeared on that album. I'm just like, I gotta, this, it was just that palpable feeling there. I had no other choice. I just had to go in and I had to do it. Wow. And, and that, at least that's when I made the decision. So I talked to my band, I'm like, guys, do you, do you, are you, are you down to do this? They're like, absolutely. We'd love to do that. And they were very lucky that, you know, I've been playing with that band for a while. So we we're already pretty much in lockstep with each other. And all three of them are just so amazingly talented. I can't even, can't even say I love them to what, death. What a gift to be locked in like that. That's not yeah. always common in a band to have that as like gold. Yeah, and just a brief tangent to like to let you let you know we hadn't practiced in about a year and a half up until last week, actually, because we we're going to be performing our release show at the Bebop. And Sick. because uh not just because of that, but also because two of my bandmates had a baby, and you know, that of course takes precedence over certain things. And my God, it was like we had never left. I, I, it was, I mean, I had the eight original songs were going to be performing there. And like we, we didn't have to go through any of them twice, I don't think. It was just I, muscle memory is a wonderful thing. So yeah. back to the original point, um, yeah. yeah, it was great that, that I already had a band that I was in concert with because we had been playing so much. And that helped uh, expedite the recording process. I, had, I was very good friends with... Uh, up and coming producer Adam Sickler, who was living in Boston for a while. He's a amazing singer songwriter. He's now in Nashville, kicking ass. And he was a, he was a good friend of mine. And uh, he worked at the record company, and he um, gave me a pretty good deal, you know, for what he was uh, able to offer. And I had him as my producer and engineer. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, and the guy who he also mastered, he just did everything. And I heard his other stuff and he's very, very talented at getting, you know, really high quality polished tracks out there. So I, I was just lucky at first that I, I, I knew all these people. So 
in a way, yes, the decision was kind of all of a sudden, but it was only because I, like you said, like I had eight years of making all these contacts and developing these skills that I felt I was comfortable to make such a bold decision. I'm like, yep, I'm making a 12 song album. I only have seven songs written right now, but by golly, I'm going to get the other five. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. so you were like, yeah, like something, something came over you to be like, we're doing this. Like, like you, you were, you felt that you, you just felt it. You know what I mean? That's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I guess. Uh, yeah. I felt it immediately. And I'm like, the time is now there's, there's no other time than now. So we did uh, just a couple, we didn't really do that many uh, sessions in the studio because we're in Solox that we were able to get the rhythm tracks, drum and bass down like really fast. I mean, uh, and then we did overdubs with guitars and then I came back later to do all the vocals on that. And I think maybe like six, five hour sessions or something like that, which is not a lot of time considering it's a full length album. Yeah. And then we were done and then we went through the mixing stage and rest is history. Right on. So like, what have you seen between the two where you've been doing uh, like cover gigs for a while? And then mm-hmm. now you have this thing that you've been working on over the, the, the years of original music. Like, what do you, what would you say to musicians out there who maybe they play in one side or the other, or haven't considered the other side at all now that you have experience in both? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know a ton of musicians that like they only create their own stuff and they just like pour their money and soul into just doing that. And I know tons of musicians making a great living and pouring their money and soul into gigging on covers. What do you uh, see between the balance of that for you and, and between the, uh, I guess, between the two worlds that you'd share with musicians that may be just on one side or the other that, that could get some of that insight from you? Oh, yeah. I 100% recommend that people try to do both. Uh, doing cover gigs, uh, while not the, uh, the sexiest of um, things to do, uh, A, just going to be honest, they pay really, really well. Like if you really want to make uh, good money, I wouldn't say fast, but like the, the most efficient way to make good money is if you learn a bunch of covers either by yourself or with a band, just fact of life. Sure. But it also, it really, it really hones your skills though. You get to learn all of these songs and you know, they don't have to be all the Mustang Sally's. They don't have to be the wagon wheels. There's thousands of songs that people at any given space would like to hear and you can curate it to, you know, include songs that you like as well. Cool. Um, so I, I, I think it's a, it's a great way to improve your, whether it's your voice, whether it's your guitar playing, whether it's just your stage presence and your confidence. If anything, it just helps you break stage right after a while too. Cause, um, right, and it's, just it's constantly fun. gigging, constantly gigging. Right. Yeah. And, and it's also fun. You know, I did a gig not too long ago at Loretta's last call in uh, downtown Boston and it was just me. I was just doing '90s covers to a screaming, like a uh, intense, huge dancing audience, and it was it was a blast. And then there's also those times where you get to be at people's, you know, wedding receptions, doing the ceremony or the cocktail hour. It really, I think, makes you a well-rounded musician to like learn all those different types of songs because uh, you get to be in those very fun clubs, watching people have a good time, and you also get to be in these very nice, intimate, special moments. I've actually not only done wedding ceremonies, there are three times in my life where I've actually played, not for the wedding, but for the proposal. And oh. doing a song that the, their, this person, the prospective partners wanted to hear. And that is, um, I mean, you know, 
how else would you be able to do something that cool and that special if uh if it wasn't for you know the whole music thing i'm very thankful for it so right. um, i still learn covers all the time it's just a hell of a lot of fun for me yeah i mean i do it for like my guitar lessons to be able to learn i just associate mm-hmm. with that better by like learning other people's work and i do it for writing too so it's like you're just taking things that you're probably already doing as a musician and you're just monetizing it and to your point probably monetizing a lot quicker than original takes with all the marketing and the movement to try to get ground on that stuff. This is something that gets you into the scene. You might've, I don't know if you met that producer that you met that way, but it's like you were in the scene for so long already before this original content came out that you're already meeting all the same connections and everything like that. It just gets that done before that other piece is done. So why not? Right. To your point. Yeah. 100%. I mean, the communities that I'm invo- I'm I'm involved with um, are primarily made up of the cover gigging musicians, um, and then also through open mics too. So I, at the same time, uh, that was you know giving a shout out to why covers are doing good. On the other hand, uh, original music uh, there's nothing quite as as good as the best cover gig could ever go. Nothing quite matches the feeling of playing your own music and having a really receptive crowd to it totally. That's on a completely different level. Oh my God. And the, in the, in the immediate Boston scene, greater Boston's like the open mic scene. Uh, I'd say it's a uh, mostly um, orig- primarily original artists. And there's a special bond with people who write and play their own music that as much as I love all the co- cover gigging musicians, um, you don't quite get because they're, it's just different when you're in a space where everyone's mutually being vulnerable with each other. That's yeah. no disrespect to people who don't write their own songs. Don't get me wrong, but those are connections that are very special and not a lot of people get to experience anyway. So my yeah. thing is for anyone who's wondering whether they should do one or the other, my God, please try to do both. That's awesome. Yeah. There is something that like, I remember like some of the first times I've ever like, I was young and like having someone like show up to somewhere that you're not at frequently and having someone that you haven't met say your lyrics back at your face when you're playing. Mm -hmm. You're like, what Mm -hmm. the fuck is happening? I'm clearly famous. (laughs) Even if it's like a 10 cap, 15, you know what I mean? You have like 20 people in there or something like that. But like that, that feeling where you're like, why does this human being relate and care (laughs) about me at all? And it feels crazy for that. But like you also get something when you're doing the covers of being able to bring whatever this song is that you couldn't. There are songs that you couldn't have created in the time period that that related to this human because Mm -hmm. maybe they came out 30 years ago, 40 years ago or whatever. Right. And it's like Mm -hmm. there are songs that you're able to play that relate to the specific human or group of humans that your original content might have a possibility of doing at some point. But you could have never like been a part of their marriage or been a part of like when their mm-hmm. father passed away or like these moments in life that we associate, like they literally get fused together with the song. Like people hear the song and nostalgia hits being able to deliver that to people is such a special thing as well. And neither of them can do the other thing. So it's really cool to be able to experience or kind of like see what footing you want in, in both of them to what you're saying, Andrew. Absolutely. Um, and just as a, you know, whether it's original or cover songs at the very least, you know, the more you're playing either of them, the more you're practicing and the more you're getting better. So if for no other reason, it just makes you a better artist all around. Yeah. 
And then there's that weird fusion of when you do a cover song in your own style and that's wicked fun <laughs> to do. I love doing that. Show. Oh yeah. No, it, it's always fun to do. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's just a blast and cover gigs while they, I, they don't have the emotional highs sometimes as, uh, the original songs. I mean, uh, when I play, uh, you belong with me by Taylor Swift to a room school, uh, room full of screaming people it's just there's it's just fun it's like being in a water park <laughs> almost i mean this is just a good time yeah and i feel like only the most cynical of people could uh be like oh i need to be playing my own stuff during that time i'm like no come on just have fun chill, and chill, let the good relax times roll. chill out yeah exactly yeah but so, yeah, uh, balance between that and then balance between like we talked about this earlier before the show kicked off but like you mentioned earlier like when we were chatting like you've seen growth in like your personal career and growth in music in tandem what what have you seen trying to strike a balance between like there there is a huge difference between being like a musician where like if you play the instrument and like you are a musician but like you're not pursuing like studio and shows and things like that you just play and that's totally cool but there's mm-hmm. a there's a huge difference between like how intense that can really be in a portion of your life of, of doing music when you're actually at studio albums, you're at shows, you're doing things for income. How have you found a balance between your career and being a musician in that way where like you're, you're putting that foot forward in the music where it really is a business and it really is a career on top of your day to day. Yeah. Um, I love to, I'd love to uh, credit that to just a naturally uh, gifted work ethic. I think the reason why um, I, I, I do so much and I'm, I've always nonstop is uh, essentially at, at, at first it was just survival. Like, you know, after college, I didn't know what to do. I started working temp jobs in the admin field and that did lead me to what would become my industry. I won't say which companies that I work for right now, but sure. uh yeah. It did it did lead me into uh into a good career in terms of, you know, the corporate world. Quote unquote. Uh and um but at the same time, you know, doing that and just getting your foot in the door, like those jobs at first don't pay very well. So I'm like, well, what else can I do for money? And then I started doing open mics, started uh, you know, expanding my cover repertoire, started booking gigs. And I realized, you know what, I can make a very comfortable living if I combined, you know, my my day job with this other side business, you know, totally. this during the week. Um, I didn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have a kid. So, I mean, I, I was in a lucky, I, lucky, I, I'm in a lucky position where like, I can do that, you know, cause I don't have these overarching commitments, but it kind of just came up from survival and it um, just blossomed from there. And there's been times where like, I was absolutely burnt to hell and I was doing way too much. Like I was doing like, you know, my, my nine to five gigs. Sometimes, you know, that would be an eight to six gig in the days Then I've been driving and I would uh, be doing cover gigs at night. Um, once a month back in, uh, before the pandemic, I had a reg, I had a weekly residency at the green dragon in Boston, five o'clock to eight o'clock. Cool. And then, well, actually, well, th- that was once a week. And, but then once a month, my band would play in Brighton at this place called article 24. So this was my schedule would be like, I would get up, I would work that day from 7.30 to four o'clock. I would drive from Waltham to the Green Dragon. I would do three hour gig from five o'clock to eight o'clock. I would then go over to Brighton, which is about a 10 to 15 minute drive, 
do a three hour band gig from nine 30 to 12. <laughs> and that was once a month. I would do that. And sometimes I would have doubles on Fridays too, after a full day of working. Um, I would, never do that. I would never do that now, but I did do a lot of stuff like that when I was first starting out because I, you know, I thought I, I was in a position at that point where I felt like I had to take whatever gig that I wanted because I didn't have the luxury of being picky and choosy. Now, it's a different story. Now I feel comfortable in, in being more selective about the places I'm going to play. And as a result, that has made this process just way more enjoyable because I, pre-pandemic, I was just absolutely fried. I was not managing it right. And then pandemic happened. And if there was one good thing that happened, and obviously it was mostly bad things, but it allowed me to reset yeah. and recalibrate how I want to go about doing this. You know, uh, I ended up getting a, working at a new company and then like, okay, this new financial situation gives me some flexibility to be a little more picking juicy on my gigs. Cool. And that's what I've done. So it's gone from like full-time job, like five to six times a week uh, to full-time job, two to three times a week, but gigs that um, are, are more beneficial for me. Right. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you say that where like, I mean, this podcast has gone on for like three years and a little bit more. And so obviously we've been doing this podcast throughout the pandemic hitting. And it's just been so crazy interviewing people from the start and then continuing to interview them now in 2021, <laughs> heading into 22, where this shit is still around. But like seeing the different ways that it impacted people and like overall, obviously like everyone seems to have like some really shitty things that happened, but everyone also so far, at least on the show that has been interviewed has been bringing these moments of like uh, a time where I reset a time where I re recalibrated a time where I changed things to be in a better position for me and this good piece of it. And I think like, ultimately it just comes from like, like being able to stop like here in America. Like I know we have people that listen in Australia and Canada and Europe and a lot of that's Western anyway. So, I, but at least here anyway, it's like we work ridiculous hours or amount of time of the year compared to some other cultures and places in the world that reset like that regularly. And like that after this experience in COVID seeing like the benefit that that did for people to have a moment of a freeze to refigure out even what's happening. It's like, I feel like way the way that we do things here in america is just what we do you know what i mean a lot of yeah. and a lot of places in the world and that's not to say that people aren't working their asses off everywhere but it's like a lot of this like we're going so quick especially here in like the east coast we're like get out of my fucking way like i'm driving like you know like just get out of my way like i need to get shit done yeah. you know it's like sometimes you don't have enough th time to even stop and think and it's not even just time but just so much of like taking the moment to be present and think of like what things can happen. Cause you're always like something else is like pushing you to go that that reset is like, man, I felt the same way. Like that did a lot for me to like stop for a minute and be like, I, I don't I have no option not to stop. And then you have to think about what is happening. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, no. Um, I had really, really well said in that regard. I remember before the pandemic happened, uh, and this is fairly, um, it's my fault, everybody, because what I did, I remember I was so stressed out. I was just, I literally like, you know, was on my bed, just completely worn out. And I was just thinking to myself, 
oh my God, if the world could just stop for like two or three months, that'd be great. So I apologize, everyone. This is, oh, Andrew. This is my, this is my oh manifestation. Oh my God. Andrew. We're still at, I didn't mean for it to last, last that last oh. this long. Let me know. All right, everyone. <laughs> but Pitchfork. at the same time, yeah, pitchforks out. Get this guy. Get this guy. Um, <laughs> cancel me. Uh, and... <laughs> What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, but you're, you're, but you're right. Um, with great, you know, with great challenge, as corny as it sounds, with great challenge comes great, you know, you know, what's that? I, there's an expression I can't think of it, but essentially, you know, challenge does breed progress and it breeds strength and going through hardships does make you stronger in time. So I'm very thankful for what I, what I went through during that time. Was it always easy? It was very scary. Like it was for a lot of us. Yep. But um, my God, I finally got some days off, and Lord knows, uh, I, I may have, you know, I, I could have had a complete nervous breakdown if I was kept going because at that point I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know I I could stop. You know, right, I right. it almost it really had to be taken out of my hands, and I'm glad that it was because now I have the ability to actually say no, which is huge for me in many ways. Yes, yeah, exactly. I remember. Uh, when we were in Italy, we were talking to some dude that was working, uh, like we were out in the middle of Tuscany in the middle of nowhere, like at this place that we're staying at. And one of the, the people that worked there, we started getting like really good friends with him. Cause he would, he, we, he would serve us every day. And we would like work in the kitchen with him when we took like a class. And, uh, I remember just like talking between the two cultures and he was saying like, what are you guys going to do on your like winter break? And like, we were like, yeah, like between Christmas and January or like Christmas or whatever, right? right. Like, so we're like, we're like a week and he's like, so what are you going to do for your break? Like over the months or whatever. And I was like, what? He, he's uh, like, I guess like at yeah. least in that portion of Italy, I think, I don't, don't know if it's all of Italy, but like they take like two or three months off every single year and they just do whatever the fuck they want. And like it's for insane, them, yeah. it's so much exactly like this is how we do it that like he could not, I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, we're going to go back. I just took off the only two weeks that I have off this entire year. I'm going to go work my ass off and disappear and give my life to someone else for the rest of the year. And he, he like could not, he's like, like the brain yeah. like could not compute. Like he's like, I don't understand. We all here just take two months and we go live and we do things that don't have anything to do with work. And then we come to work and we're really good at work because we like super give a shit and like could not <laughs> comprehend when, when I'm like, we don't. We don't do that. None of us do. No one does yeah, that, no, I, you know, like ever, even entrepreneurs that have control. It's like, they still like just go in and work their asses off a lot of them until they, they have that frying point to be like, I got to do shit different. But it's like, it's interesting to hear that you don't have to do that or that there are different ways to think about it until it's taken from us here. And you're like, you have to stop. And then we're like, whoa, that's an option to press pause. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. No, the whole thing about other cultures and the way that they, uh, you know, they other societies in which they essentially mandate time off, or at least that kind of time off is normalized. I've kind of just started realizing that because in this company that I work at, I work with a lot of international customers from Europe and New Zealand. Cool. And I was surprised to know that like they've been uh, out of the office for the last three weeks. And, um, and I was like, oh, what's going on with that? Oh, like, oh, yeah, that's just what we do all the time. Like when people ask us, like, what do you? If someone asked me, hey, what are you going to do for your winter break? I'm like, you mean the three-day weekend that I get? Uh, <laughs> maybe four if you also get Christmas Eve off. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, you know, uh, I, 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 
I'll, I'll just say it. I wish we had a, a better system like that because uh, not to get too much into the political aspect of thing, but I, I just think in general, I think everyone agrees. Sometimes we, we aren't the best judge of our own sanity when it comes to work. I feel having that mandated break or just having it normalized that this is healthy. This is what we need to do. And I hope talk about positives from the pandemic. I hope that the pandemic does lead to a normalization of at least at the very least, you know, sick days are now more okay to take than they did before. Don't be here when you're sick because it's Don't be here when you're sick. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't always the case before this, you know, a lot of times, you know, Oh, you have a cold. Okay. Come on, come on, suck it up, put on your big point boy pants and get into work. Now it's a pretty serious thing. If you come in with a cold. Yeah. Um, which is good. So I hope, I guess hope we normalize it because in, you know, this, uh, when you, when you're in a culture that puts, you know, just that, that really just glorifies, um, bam, 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 go, 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 no sleep, no days off, man. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to discount the virtue of having a good work ethic, but at the same totally, time, totally. lie on the, lie on the grass, man, dude, just, don't go insane. <laughs> yeah, work ethic <laughs> is great, but an, uh, a, a mental breakdown will trump that negatively. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. This, this, and it's funny because this episode is coming like literally like two or three episodes after I did an episode on when to notice, like how to notice that you have burnout. Because I had like the worst mm. burnout of my life, like probably like three months ago or something. But I recognized it. Like I've got self-awareness now whereas in the past i would have just sat there and plowed it and this time i actually was like shit like i'm not getting good right now and i'm doing things worse unless i take time and then i did it which five years ago me wouldn't have done so it was like good that that's changed maybe it's because of that you know it's a bit of an addict's mentality because what we don't realize which we should is that you're going to be more productive you're going to produce more you're going to make more if you just take a break, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause then it gets to a point, like I felt like I was in a point where I was doing so much, but I wasn't getting anything done. Like I was doing these cover gigs here and there. I was working on some stuff, but because I was pulled in so many different directions, um, I wasn't, I, I felt like my productivity, even though I had zero spare time was at an all time low. Cause I wasn't able to step back and reassess what I wanted to do. Right. Right. So I guess like out of that, because now I'm interested in the, the, in this conversation pulled out of you versus what you've named your single. I definitely want a chance to talk about that before we're over. And it just feels like sure. maybe yeah. this is coming from that space, but your, your next single coming out is literally called head voice. Do you want to tell <laughs> me like a little bit and like people listening, like now hearing like a voice from you, what, what exactly is the premise of this and what drove you to write this song is a follow-up from big album before COVID single. That's like organic in our rooms with my band, uh, you know, during COVID. And now we're, we're coming to this song here, which is now the next single out past that. Like, what is this about? And kind of like the, the, the drive for this. Yeah. So uh, just when it comes to the name head voice and where I got it, when I write songs, a lot of times um, they're not entirely supposed to make sense. This one does, but a head voice was just something that came to me because I use my head voice a lot in that song. And I just thought that would be a cool thing to do. And then as oh, I vocally, started, vocally, vocally, head voice, <laughs> but also, it, but I did start like, I'm like, I, cause I had the melody and I was using my head voice. I'm like, Ooh, what if I just said 
head voice right here. And then I started to write around that. The song is supposed to elicit sort of a wartime apocalyptic feel. I wonder where I got that from this past couple of years. Yeah. And it was, uh, it tells the story of a man and a woman who um, are, you know, now stuck together as a result of pandemic. It was uh, this, these two people who are going to break up, who are going to fall, find their own separate lives, going to be free. And then this whole happens. Not necessarily pandemic, but like something uh, cataclysmic happened sure. now forces them to not only stay together, but be closer than they ever were before. Yeah. Um, and I was, I did go through something similar before that. And um, one of those things where both people think that they're going to clip their wings and be free, uh, not, no, or spread their wings and be free, but instead their wings are actually clipped. Uh, so it's supposed to elicit a claustrophobic feeling and head voices. Um, Kind of just a word that sounded good in the chorus, if I'm going to be honest, but it's essentially, you know, the that trapped, isolated feeling and all the weird sounds and noises that come into your head. So a uh, little double entendre there, if you will. Dang. Yeah, there's always something deeper than just the one thing. But it's it's funny to hear that, like where I'm looking at that from the outside, where I see head voice, I'm immediately thinking about like the way that you speak in your head or something like that. And then yeah. you're telling me all these other things that go into it. And it's, that's what's the, the coolest part of, I guess, about writing things is all the subjective detail that isn't shown yeah. of what your audience or people viewing it see that you didn't even write yet. You know what I mean? Like what, what, right. what can people perceive of this art past what my initial pieces of intent were? Oh, that's yeah. So amazing. Those are my favorite songs. Uh, and just so um, the non-musicians know, Head Voice is also another name for what we refer to as falsetto. So, uh, so you probably heard that before. Uh, but yeah, there is a, I do like making these purposely oblique because um, if someone hears a song of mine, they think it's about something that was not my intent. Uh, I, I will just not correct them. I'm saying whatever you felt, whatever was going through mm. your head when you hear that song, that is what the song is about. That's awesome. And it doesn't, it even, and sometimes I write, you know, pretty on point. It tells, a, I'll, I'll tell a fairly cogent and coherent story that isn't open up to too much interpretation, but at the same time, music is kind of just memories. You know what I mean? It's, mm. uh, you can listen to a song like, I don't know, uh, working for the weekend, but like attributed to like a very sad and tragic death or something like that. Like, um, right. it doesn't have to make sense to you, whatever feelings you have about it, whatever, images, people, um, events get triggered in your memory as a result of having listened to it. To me, that's what the song's about. You know, it's, you know, I could really say anything. Like one of my favorite songs of all time is Come Together by the Beatles and John Lennon readily admits this is all complete nonsense at the same time. <laughs> though. Like he said, he's like, no, this has no meaning. I was just putting together like sound bites and things that sounded cool to sing. <laughs> and at the same time, it's still highly evocative. I mean, you hear a line like, hold you in his armchair, you can feel his disease. The consonants and the vowels, they sound good. You know, the, the vowel sounds match the melodies, the way he's singing it matches the vibe of the song. Um, lyrics are very much meant to be heard in my perspective rather than being like read now the best lyrics are the ones that you can read on the paper tell a story and they also sound good uh in the context of the song right you can do it all together great but it doesn't need to i think a song like come together is even though it's complete nonsense is a lot of fun and you can 
make up your own theories about what it's about or what this line means or right. Or that, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't need to follow a beginning, middle, and end, which is which is a fun aspect about writing lyrics because I always want to make sure I have that good lyrical hook and soundbite, even if like. And then I, I worry about having. I worry about it making sense later. Does this phrase sound good over this melody? Great. What does it mean? Oh, um, I'll get back to you, but I will have an answer for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how like you could have like, there's like so subjective pieces and so objective pieces of writing a song where like, I don't know. It's really, it's, yeah, it's such a weird, complicated process. I'm sure it's the same way in every form of creative where there are those pieces where you're doing it to serve the song, but it still ends up being your vision or like there are parts where you like, you're like, this has to be in the song because I felt this way at this time. And then like, you're not even thinking about the song at that point in terms of like right. the quality of the tonality or, or, or sound of it. You're like, this just has to be in it. But there's other times where you're like, this has nothing to do with the moment, but this is just like what makes sense in this song right now. It's yep. so funny how it's just like a constant back and forth of like building things with those different blocks of like what should be in at this time to, to put it in, you know? Oh yeah, no. And that's why songwriting is such a fun process. And one of my favorite aspects of just being involved in music isn't sometimes isn't even the shows or the recording process. It's just, you know, lying on your bed with an acoustic guitar and just like, Oh, if I do that, then I do this, then I do that, then I do this. Um, it's just, it's very gratifying for the brain and for yeah. the soul too. It's just, it's a, it's a good time. Yeah. So Andrew, I always end the, episode with like the same six questions it used to be five but i've augmented it now uh so that i kind of like in every batch of 100 i'll kind of go through and like see what a bunch of different creatives and entrepreneurs said over that time it's it's been fun for me to do so far oh yeah hell yeah so you down for that i'm down for that all right so the first question is why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could go do what gives me purpose and identity uh, playing music is who I am. And that's not, and, and that's pretty much it. It's just, it's who I am. I have to do it. Fair. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> that too. <laughs> you got to do it, but people don't answer that question that way. Uh, or at least like there are a lot of people that can't say what you just said. So that's <laughs> awesome. Awesome on yeah. you. What would be like along the way, something that like maybe you, you learned a lesson from, so it's not necessarily like a mistake in your mind, but what, but maybe you tell like five years ago, you 10 years ago, you like, Hey, don't do this thing that really sucked. Uh, I would say uh, very pragmatically do not get hooked up. Um, And I'd say uh, curtail your alcohol use when you're a musician and you're gigging a lot. It's very easy to get a lot of drinks and it's very easy for that to get out of control. I am three and a half years sober. Uh, It was a choice I really had to make because um, I was not making good choices while I was drinking all that beer. And when you're a musician, you don't even notice it because it's just so normalized in the culture. So I'm not saying don't be abstinent, have fun, moderation. I'm all good with that. Just be very careful. That's a great, thing and you're right like in the culture it's just embedded like just Mm -hmm. like i know a a lot of uh people in in recovery that are musicians and they just take off after their gig because if they're hanging there it's just like they're hanging at a bar or a venue and it's just like it's it's just like sports right like forget like like let's totally divide out from 
the art. You can be at a football game and it's like when I watch a football game, it's like there's certain cravings that I have for food or something like that. There's just pieces yeah. of like our culture that are just like, boom, right there with it. And it's important mm-hmm. to like have that control and it's not always, it's not always easy. You know, it's like so, yeah, sometimes yeah. It's just like I do this thing because I do this thing. And every year I know myself, like I'm not, I, I don't not drink. But every year I take like two or three months and I, and I don't drink or do any substances for like two or three months just to be like, to understand what does my body feel like to just not do that. And then, and then it really also identifies when you're like in a position doing something and then you're like reaching for something or like want to do something. And you're like, why though? Why am I doing that right now? And it like, you don't see that when it's like fused together with it. But when you take a break and like, just don't do stuff. You, you identify a lot of parts of yourself of like why you're doing things. So I'm, I'm, that's mm-hmm. awesome, man. You know? Thank you. Yeah. Flip side to that. What's like the best idea you've come up with along the way or like the best thing you're like, I'm so fucking stoked that I did that. Should definitely do this thing. Um, it was asking this guy named Nate Staub if uh, he wanted to jam because Nate then introduced me to his girlfriend, now wife, Jamie, who became my bass player. Uh, his roommate, Rich, who became my drummer, and then Nate is still my guitar player. Uh, so one of the best decisions I made professionally was making that connection with this guy, Nate, because he gave me my band and I would be nowhere close to where I am now if it wasn't for those three. Damn. There you go. <laughs> Hi, Brian. That's, that's awesome. What Like from one decision, that's so cool. What would be like your superpower? Like not like a Marvel character superpower, mm-hmm. but like what would be something they're like, Andrew like is just this person. Like he's got this. Oh, uh, I'm glad you mentioned. It. I've been uh, during the pandemic, by the way. I having never seen a Marvel cinematic universe. No, movie, uh, I didn't. And then I watched all of them, and I'm obsessed <laughs> with all of them. And we could have an hour conversation on just the Spider-Man movie that came out, which was amazing. Go see it. Oh, I haven't seen it. I will see it. Oh my god, you got to do it. Okay. Um, but my <laughs> my superpower would be, um, I think, to read emotions. I'd say. Um, I guess it would be some sort of telepathy. But I think my superpower would be having heightened social awareness to say what's making that person uncomfortable or. Mm. What is that person like? Uh, what cover song might they might enjoy? Mm. It would have. It would definitely be in some. It would definitely be some sort of telepathic, an empath reading of. Em, yeah, an em, empath power. Yeah, bit, some sort of telepathic reading of one's emotions and their desires and dislikes. Yeah, that is like a. That's a. That is like a Marvel quality superpower. That thing is like. Yeah. Very very good or bad depending on whose hands it's in. In the it's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like Wanda. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What is a uh, resource that you'd recommend to the audience? Could be like a book, a podcast, a video, Mm -hmm. a website, like anything. Like it can be in anything that you like. Just a resource that you're about. I would a resource I would use. Okay, I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently, but it's sure. a. I I think it um, still it is serves the same purpose of how to like get your creative juices flowing. Um, I highly recommend listening to music and running or doing some sort of cardio. So same. go on Spotify, get a get a playlist going, or shuffle Pandora, whatever you want to do. There's something about being in that moment that is incredibly meditative, and um, like, I feel like, you know, I absorb, I absorb music. I absorb the art. I absorb the message when I'm in that, you know, 
when I'm in that state, when I'm doing any sort of steady state cardio, I'm just yeah. doing today. Um, it was, it's, and it's awesome. It's, um, so I, I would recommend, I would recommend doing that because I feel that's a very powerful way to consume music. Um, if I were to answer that a little more generally, I just like listen to as much music as you can. Like go to like, um, what I did, um, where I, not what I did, what I am doing right now is I'm like, I want to get into new music, um, or at least stuff I haven't heard before. So I just went to the Rolling Stones top 100 albums of the nineties. I'm like, okay, first thing in the morning at work, I'm just going to put one of those albums on, listen to the 45 minutes. And if I don't like it, great, but I probably will find a lot of awesome songs that I didn't hear before. And I'll save that for cool. a little like folder. Um, just consume, you know, and whether it's, whether it's Marvel movies or whether it's podcasts or anything, I just like always take in, just don't, just don't stand around, uh, like, uh, doing nothing. Just, just consume art and consider different stuff. Don't have it be the same, same, the same stuff all the time. Yeah. It gets really old when you, when you have like your favorite bands and stuff, like don't like lose that, but like, it gets really old. Like if you're just can't get into any of the things that are happening, it like, it's very isolating. And there's usually something that's out there that's still like relative to you, but like you wouldn't know if you just shut everything down. So you know. What I'm warning all millennials about and some Gen X, I said, okay, all the people who said that your music sucked when you grew up, your favorite stuff, they made the choice to not expand their mind or listen or try to get into anything new. So don't do it don't again. Don't be like those guys. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I remember yeah. like uh, in Bull Moose, like they had a uh, little, they probably still have them. I haven't been in a while actually. They have like these grab and go like mystery things. You can buy it. And it just has like jumbled CDs and like a little gift. Oh, really? Thing. Oh, that's so and cool. You open it and you get like sometimes locals, sometimes nationals or whatever. And like uh, the the kids that I used to room with, they used to always get those. And sometimes it would be the weirdest, weirdest shit that you listen <laughs> to. But we listen through all yeah. the CDs and just be like, yeah, I'm not worse. Like this is interesting. Like all this is interesting today. And you just consume yeah. shit. And, uh, you just, sometimes you like it and then you're like, damn, I'm, I like this, whatever, like someone, someone in the chat, I think on, on this one, I don't know if it's this or the last thing, but Heather was talking about how she's been getting into like K-pop recently because of her. Hell yeah. Like, no, K-pop's, or something. K-pop K-pop's is awesome. Of first of all. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. But she was saying that she's getting into it from her niece or something like that. And it's like, you don't know if you don't try stuff out, you got to figure it out. Yeah. You know? so and while there's that. definitely genres, like even. To me, even bad music is is worthwhile to listen to. I feel like I feel like a lot of movie buffs will probably say the same thing. Like some of the worst movies are like the f- most fun for them to talk about. I do not judge anyone who likes it. I am not a fan of modern country, as a lot of people are. I was listening to some uh, great bar that was uh, had that on their Pandora, and uh, to me, it's just it's so banal. It's so the same thing over and over again. But it's so interesting, like. Every time I listen to modern country to make it fun, I'm like, okay, what are the key? It's like almost like you're playing mental bingo. Like what are the key <laughs> words? Whiskey, blue jeans. Yeah. The ringtone is now like, is, is an odd one. Like I hear the word ringtone a lot. So I just sort of like to break down the, the archetype that uh, the, the archetypical features that now exist in every single modern uh, pop song. So even bad music is, is worthwhile to listen to in my yep. opinion. Totally. Yeah. I listen to stuff that I don't like as a genre frequently, but I'm just listening with a different set of ears. And sometimes my yeah. wife will be like in the car or she'll be like walking by and be like, 
why the fuck are you listening to that? Like, I hate this and I know that you hate this. And, <laughs> and like, I can listen to it still for hours though. Cause I'll have producer hat on or musician yeah. musician hat on. And I'm just not listening to that at all in that way. I'm just sitting there like, especially like I also love to run and listen to music. I'll be sitting there trying to focus on all of those different things of like, why was this decision made? Why do people like this thing? What is indicative of this genre? What is like this and like production styles? You can just keep going down the rabbit hole of like why yeah. people are making decisions. And it's just super interesting to me. Yeah. Like the, the, there's no such thing as a wasted moment when, if, if, when it comes to consuming new art in, in my opinion. Yeah. So last one is the easiest, Andrew, just like, where do people, uh, check out your stuff, keep up with you. And then obviously I'll, I'll include for anyone that wants to check it out. A link to your single in the show notes when this podcast is out on the website, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes and in the show notes down on whatever you're playing your podcast on at the time this is actually playing. But where do they keep awesome. Yeah. So uh, the, the easiest way to find out all about me is to simply just go to Google and type Andrew Giano, G-E-A-N-O. But to be more specific, I do have my website, andrewgianomusic.com. Again, True. G-E-A-N-O. You can find me on Instagram at Andrew Jano. You can find my Facebook page, Andrew Jano Music. Um, I'm an open book. So if you want to add me as a friend too on Facebook, I got my personal page and you can see all my fun ramblings about things like music and Marvel movies and all that good stuff. Um, yep. I'm, uh, so yep. Yeah, uh, Twitter, I don't really do that much, but uh, obviously the main thing is you can find my new single out since we're going into the future. Right now, it came out on midnight, uh, January 8th. It's <laughs> voice available on Spotify, iTunes, all streaming platforms. Uh, and the music video you can find on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash Andrew Giano. And also on my website too. And yeah, I just hope you follow me. I got my show calendar up there. So um, anyone who's watching, anyone who's new and wants to drop me a line and say, hey, I will say hey back. Awesome. Yeah. At this point, there are a lot of people listening around the US and in different countries, but this podcast started in New England and it started obviously from people that I, I knew and love here. So we've got a big old Boston and New England uh, base of people here. So maybe we can get some people out at a Andrew Giano show and hang out. Hell so. yeah. I agree. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's a good idea. <laughs> if you don't say so yourself. All right. So <laughs> Thank you everyone on, on Instagram and Facebook, people who have been watching this live. If you want, if you like missed and you just got like a piece of this and you want to listen to the whole episode, uh, this will be out on all podcast platforms. Look up waking up from work podcast or waking up from work, uh, waking up from work.com and you can listen to the whole episode. And thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Andrew, thank you for taking your time and sharing your story in, uh, and letting us know what you're up to out there. We appreciate it. It was an, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dave. Hell yeah. Yeah.